Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome along to the VMTV Rugby Pod. It's great to be back and what a couple of months we have in front of us. World Cup in France with me as always. The two amigos in Matt Williams and in studio for once, Alan Quinlan. Alan, how has your summer been? Very good, yeah. Um, obviously the 20s, uh, we were. I was doing a, a lot of stuff for that in uh, end of June, start of July. Ireland unfortunately came up a little bit short there, but it was a great tournament and um, it was great to see some great young players coming through and... Uh, other than that, um, a little bit of rest and relaxation and uh, we're back into uh, mad rugby time coming up now, which is the pinnacle for all these players, you know. Um, four years has flown by. It was like yesterday, I was in Japan, but uh, France France kicks off uh, the week after next and it's exciting. It certainly does. And Matt, how's Narbonne and how's the sunshine? Mate, too good, too good. Had a great summer, mate. Lovely, lovely uh, summer. Still a bit of rugby on. Watch the championship and um, all the rugby from the south. So, but uh, I agree with Alan. I can't believe it's four years since we were doing the last World Cup in Japan. But this one's going to be even better. I think this is the most even World Cup I've ever witnessed. I've seen them all. No, I can't. I certainly believe this is the most even. And the hardest to pick who's going to come out lifting the William Webb Ellis trophy. So, yeah, like Alan, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, before we get into the nuts and bolts, let's hear from Andy Farrell, who did pick the squad just a couple of days ago with a 33-man squad to go to France. Well, it's obviously difficult because you're, you're shattering someone's dream, you know. Um, but at the same time, I would hope that through um, all campaigns that you don't let bid, bad news be a shock as in you, you, you're constantly giving feedback to them to let them know where they're at. And, and players are not stupid, you know, they've always got a, a, a sense of well as well what's happening along the way. Um, but what I would say is that the reason it is difficult for myself to, to certainly tell those five players um, the other day is because they made it very easy for myself, you know, their, 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 their understanding. They're all team players. There's no selfishness whatsoever within all of the group. And if you have a look at um, everyone else announcing their squad so early, the reason that sometimes that happens is because they, they want to get the, to the 33 and they want to make sure that they, they push everyone else on so that, there's, so that there's no disruptions along the way. We have none of that ever because, because of the quality of people that we've got, the, the team first people, and, and that's why it's... It's hard to um, shatter the dreams, really. Alan, you hear they're team first people, but he must have sleepless nights about that. You know, the 33, 18 forwards, 15 backs. We look at the ins and outs, Keith Earls in, McCluskey in, Stockdale, Prendergast out. 
Kieran Frawley and Tom Stewart. As an assessment, 33, what do you make of it? Well, if you asked me to pick this squad um, three months ago, I probably could have went pretty close. Most people would have went pretty close to the 33-man squad. So there's no big surprises in there. There's no kind of shocks. Um, and that's credit to what Andy Farrell, Mike Cat, Paul O'Connell, Simon Easterby and John Fogarty have done in the last two to three years. Um, we had a kind of a shaky period, obviously during the World Cup in 2019. Bit of uncertainty after when Andy Farrell took over. Um, a lot of questions about the attack, the shape of the team. Um, they found a little bit of spark and cohesion. Um, and I think it was the England game in... 21 was it or 20 in um 21 maybe in in uh the aviva where they had a very convincing important win keith earl scores a try jack conan scores Over a try COVID, yeah, you're right. um and that was the start of a, a kind of a energetic positive um i suppose run as regards the attack there was a lot of questions about the attack so um They've had a really good build-up and a transition. He's capped a lot of players in the last couple of years. And it's a good environment. And, um, you know, he's talking there about, you know, players buying into the team and being team first. I think that comes down to the coaching as well and creating a good environment, good leadership. Um, doesn't guarantee you anything, but I think he's he's managed the group really well and going right back to, you know, in recent times, they've won a Grand Slam. They were in New Zealand last year. Um, so they're in a good place, a good position, and the build-up has been really good. Um, I think there's possibly a little bit being held back, and most most people would agree that you know they're a necessity these World Cup warm-up games. But they can be people can be a little bit different, and they can ha be holding back a little bit, and they would just want to get through them. So you know whether you're a seasoned international experience or someone who is their first World Cup. There's great excitement to hear your name being called out and, and, you know, it should be a wonderful tournament. But I go back and say it, Andy Farrell is doing a great job um, and the players seem to trust him and um, he has a real good rapport with the players. He's quite calm and relaxed and he's continuously wanting them to be challenged. So there's no surprises in the squad. I think it's difficult. I think someone like Kieran Frawley with his utility ability of 10, 12, full back, um, he's a real good footballer. He didn't really get much of a chance here. Gavin Coombs, for me, a little bit disappointing that he didn't get a run in there. But it's understandable in a way because if you look at the back rowers, you know, Jack Conan, Caelan Doris, Peter O'Mahony, Josh van der Fleer, world class, you know, and they've delivered at a very high level in, in recent times. Ryan Baird is a kind of a freakish athlete um, who can do something special. He can find a moment in a game. So he's in there. Um, so I think someone asked me last week, you know, should Gavin Coombs feel, feel really upset or has he been hard done by? It's the quality that's in front of him. I've experienced that myself in my career, you know, Grand Slam in, on 09. I togged out for every every match in the Six Nations, but I looked at the players who were ahead of me. David Wallace, Stephen Ferris, Jamie Heaslip, Dennis Leamy. And... <laughs> It's hard to bang at the coach's door and say, well, still I... Still hurt you, I, Quinny. It still hurt no, you. No, but it's hard to bang at the coach's door and say, I'm better than one of these guys or I should be ahead of him, you know. So that's the unfortunate thing for Gavin Coombs. Keen Prendergast, we thought he might, um, given he started against England. Um, and, you know, Tom Stewart, again, 
he's behind you know Sheehan Keller and and yeah. and Rob Herring has been you know a real solid rock for for Ireland when he said to step in there as well and come off the bench so um Jacob Stockdale I suppose there was a debate going on about Earls or himself who'd go and you know it's obviously disappointing for Jacob um you know given where he was a couple of years ago it's it's hard to believe you know how potent he was and how exciting excited people were about him and you know he doesn't go to a world cup it's it's incredibly disappointing but short mccluskey is obviously the winner in the center they could have went three centers there because i think some of the back three could have slotted in jimmy o'brien earls even mac hansen could play in the center if you need it but um so uh yeah there's no there's no surprises in there there's no bolters i know we're going to talk about keen healy he's a loss he's experience he's strength he's power but you know, it's a very settled squad and let's hope they perform. There's a settled squad, Matt. If we bring you in there as a former coach, Andy Farrell, you know, Alan mentioned there, always seems relaxed in a very good manner. But, you know, that's a difficult job to say the obvious. That is what he's paid to do. But as a former coach, ringing up players not to make in Six Nations squad, for your example, example, like what's it like? You know, those conversations can't be easy. I know, they're horrible conversations. Exactly what Andy said, you you're smashing someone's dream, you know, and um, uh, it, it, it's it's awful, you know. The, it, it's it's interesting that you know I, I've met a group of guys I used to coach in Australia, and a couple of them I, I gave every one of them a start, and uh, they all said, "Oh, you dropped me for this game, or you dropped me for that game," and I, I said, "Well, but I gave you your first game." Players don't remember the opportunities you give them; they remember the opportunities you deny them. But that's the gig. That's the gig. You know, your, your, your responsibility, Andy's responsibility, is to the jersey, not not to the individual. His job is to be loyal to the jersey, to to do what's best for the jersey at your own personal expense, um, and and at the expense of individuals within the team, as Andy said. Um, you know, the great Jimmy Telfer said to me once that being a national coach is one of the loneliest jobs in the world because of those sort of things. Uh, and Jimmy was right. It, it, you know, when you're selecting and when you're dropping players, it is incredibly hard on, because quite often you really like the guy. You know, you admire them and you respect them, but you still have to do what's right for the team. So that's, look, every coach is, that's always done that. Since select, since coaches were selectors, that's why they used to have a selection committee. Um, I, I believe the best selection committee was a committee of three where two were dead. But you know the, that's what you used to have a committee, and the coach used to have to then wear what the committee said, even though he didn't believe it. So um, it, it is it is tough. But look, I think I agree with Quinny that you could have picked that side three months ago, with the exception of of uh, Healy, which is. Obviously, a very, very sad thing for Keane, who's been a great servant of the game, but and a great servant of Irish rugby. But that's a very, very good squad, and the quality of the squad has been made through decisions that Farrell's made by putting in um, the, the series against the New Zealand Maori, by taking a team to South Africa, a team to South Africa, and obviously bringing the New Zealand A team up. To, to, he's created that depth, given opportunity wise. And Prendergast, the sport who can come in and he, he 
have him then stepping in. So I trust his job in that work with Quinny, and I also think that that isn't a, a there, there is almost no arguments that anyone could could bring up for the people that have been selected, uh, which which again is a reflection of of the quality of Irish rugby and, and the quality of Farrell Star. We've both touched on there, Kane Haley. You know, he's come back before pretty quickly. This one seems just a wee bit too far for him, but to be denied a fourth World Cup, absolutely got wrenching for him. Yeah, it's 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 really difficult. Um, it's heartbreaking. We saw some high-profile ones over the years, you know, David Wallace, Jordan Murphy, Tommy O'Donnell in 15, dislocated his hip in, in Cardiff in a warm-up game. Um, it's heartbreaking. And... Um, it's just the nature of we, we we you know you're 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 worried before these games is he going to pick up a situation like this and um, it's really difficult for him. I think back to Keane Healy in his career. I I played played with him. Um, I remember him kind of. He's not, he's not that old, is he? He he was very young when he was in the Irish squad. I'll put it that way. We won't go the other way. Um, but in two thousand and seven, when the World Cup squad was announced for France. Um, he was training with us. Um, look, he probably knew at that time, and most people knew that he wasn't going to go be picked in that squad. But I remember him right back then in two thousand and seven. So he's around a long time. He's so tenacious. And um, two thousand and thirteen, going with the Lions to Australia, I think best loose head in the world. Um, and he and I, he probably was at that level for a number of years, um, winning Heineken Cups with Leinster, starring for Ireland. You know getting over the 100 cap mark um he's just he's been very unlucky with some bad injuries he had a bad neck injury in i think 2015 as well 15 16 he's so always seemed to come back stronger, he's recovered he? Jenny recovered miraculously last year in, in new zealand where he picked up a, an injury early in the tour and um came back and was on, on involved for the test matches off the bench and really important for ireland so it's really unfortunate um the worry was i think if 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 keen healy goes over in the ankle and strains the ligaments i think he has that miraculous ability to you know recover really quickly but if you tear a calf or it's um and he looked looked under a lot of pressure coming off the field so it's a big loss it's uh jeremy lockman comes in and i think you know jeremy lockman did really well uh for munster towards the set in the second half of the season um dave kelcoin has been out for a couple of weeks so they're very good players, but I think what you get with Keane Healy is that that power and that physical strength, particularly if you're if you've won big scrum against South Africa, New Zealand, France, whoever it may be, Scotland, five meters out, whether you're going for a push and trying to force a penalty or else you're defending your line, you'd you'd have a lot of trust in Keane Healy to to get the job done there. Um I think Jeremy Lockman and Dave Kilcoyne, they've got to prove themselves now and make sure they get it right. And you know what? Lockman did it um, against the, the Stormers um, on a couple of occasions. And at the end of the season, he was he was pretty solid. Um, they were put under savage pressure. And um, so he's a very good player as well, as is Dave Kilcoyne. So they've got to step up now and it's a, an opportunity for both those guys. Obviously, we, we you know Andrew Porter will be the starting loose head. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But by and large, I'm, I'm sure Matt will, will agree, if you were given the situation that one player might miss out from the warm-ups, you'd nearly take that as opposed to kind of going, some teams could, you know, have lost a couple of players here. And um, so by and large, it's been, 
it's been pretty decent. We need to see Sheehan and Kelleher back because they're really, really important to this team. Matt, Quinny touched on the warm-ups there. It looks to be just one player injured, which is a great ratio, particularly in the pass record for Ireland. But what have you made, you know, the wins against Italy and England and then we're just touching off air about the win in Bayonne against Samoa. Pretty ugly, but it was wet. Would you read much into these games, Matt, or totally not irrelevant, but do you think it's just sort of get them done, get the wins and move on? I think that's a fair summation, Stu. Like if, you, if you look back over the years, um, it, it's pretty much that you, you need the games, the players need the games, the teams need the games. But in some ways, it's, it's exactly what Alan said. You know, th these are human beings. They're going and they're thinking, I'm, I'm maybe 80 minutes away from going to a World Cup. So last Bayon game, all the players knew before the game they were going or they weren't going. They'd already been told by Andy Farrell, which I thought was very interesting strategy from him, putting them under pressure, seeing how they perform. But then they saw Healy, you know, the injury, calf injury, which, you know, with great respect to Kern, calf injuries, we call them old man injuries, because older players are very susceptible to calves and they are very, very finicky, very hard to get right. And when they saw that, everyone must have just thought, wow, Intermac, oh, I just want to get to the end of this. And they're human, and that's, un that's totally understandable. I, I remember uh, against you, why I don't put a lot on the warm-up games. Um, 2003 World Cup, Alan Quinn will remember it very well, scoring a great try in Adelaide. Um, unfortunately, hurt himself there. Same World Cup, Ireland are knocked out. I've got a lot of the uh, Leinster players out on a boat on Sydney Harbour on semi-final day. Most beautiful day, a classic Sydney day, sun shining, we're having beers, having wine. England are playing France at the Olympic Stadium that night. France are going to win that game. I saw France play England at Twickenham in a warm-up game. France are going to win that game. Out in the distance, a few clouds, giant storm comes through. Giant storm, hits Sydney, 7.30, kick-off time, pours rain, Wilkerson kicks England to the World Cup final. France are knocked out. The, the point I'm getting at is once you're in a World Cup, that's when it starts and you need everything to go your way. You need every bounce of the ball, every piece of, of the rugby god smiling at you going your way. And France didn't have that that day. England did. England did at that World Cup. Australia won two World Cups. Every bounce went their way in those two World Cups. So to me, the, the, the warm-up games are simply a, a, a dot that, that ends the preparation. Now you've got a, a week's break, everyone's going to be in the, world, in the World Cup, it starts. And it's an exceptionally even World Cup, the most even World Cup I've ever seen. So th this is now the starting point. There's some discussions about selections and so on that we can have, but in many ways it's all irrelevant. It's all about what happens in the future. Um, uh, and, you know, even, even with France losing Antimac, that's over. What if, how France going to deal with it? We saw them deal with Australia, a very poor Australia, it has to be said. They still deal with Australia very well. So now is the beginning. It's, it's where we all can get in to the pool games. The festival of rugby starts, which is the pool stages. But is the interesting part of what we're going to see, Stu. Very rarely in World Cup history, does the first game have a bearing on the tournament? The first game of this World Cup, France versus New Zealand at the Stade de France, 
will have a bearing on the outcome of the World Cup. And that's a pretty amazing statistic because I don't think there's been any World Cup where the opening match has been anything but just a, a game that's kicked the thing off. This one is a, is a monumental game, as is South Africa versus Scotland, a monumental game for our, Irish, the Irish uh, direction through the World Cup. So, yeah, to me, to me, they're over. Let's get on with it. And, but it's going to be a monumental World Cup where no one can say with any certainty who's going to lift the William Webb Ellis Trophy, which I think is a really it's great for us because we're going to watch it. We're going to watch it and enjoy it and, and be as excited and as informed as uh, the, the, the viewers watching the, uh, every match. Yeah, you say no one can pick a winner when they're ready. You know, it is so even, as Matt says, in my opinion as well. I'm sure you agree, but if we look at the World Cup group for Ireland, we've known for a while, Romania, Tonga, Scotland and South Africa. You know, you'd, it's going to be come down to those two matches, you would have thought, of Scotland and South Africa. Just, I suppose, as a summary, you know, if you were to pick up straight away, you know, it's a big question, but where do you think Ireland finish in that group? Well, on, on, on the evidence of, of if you go on what we saw at the weekend, they finished second in the group because South Africa, you know, what they did on Friday night in, in, in Twickenham would, would scare a lot of people. Um, I think their preparations has seemed to have gone very, very well. Um, they look really connected in everything they're doing. Their set piece is obviously one of their big strengths, but you know their line out and scrum, um, rock solid. And I think they're they have a great spark and some you know wonderful players out wide as well if they need to use them. So um, the power they kind of showed the other night, and obviously they brought seven forwards off the bench, which is a, a, a very debatable situation. Um, the laws allow it, of course. Um, I don't know if we'll, ever, we'll see them do that in the pool stage. Um, you'd never know, but Philly um, LaRue pulled out late and they weren't going 6-2 and then they end up going 7-1. Um, they looked scaringly powerful on, on Friday night. Um, I think that the Irish team that obviously played against Samoa, if you look at the side that went out in that game, there's there's Unless something changes, um, Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer, Tyg Byrne and Mac Hansen are the, the four definite starters. I think Rob, you could add Robbie Henshaw into that as well. Um, he played at 13 the other night. So there's probably five players. So there's 10 guys there who won't start in the South African game, in the Scotland game, unless something changes. So... The weather was horrendous in Bayonne, really difficult to play. Um, and one concern for me would be that that type of weather. Ireland have gone so much attack and uh, keeping the ball alive, trying to get the multi-phase in the last two years that um, we've, I hope we just don't forget our kicking game and being pragmatic and direct in, in bad conditions. And I think Conor Murray did that brilliantly in the second half. He had a really good game, not just with his kicking, but he's tackling as well. He looks... He looked very kind of fit and in great shape. Um, and you could get that. Matt is talking about the conditions. They can change. You know, you could get a thunderstorm in, in, in the south of France or in France at any stage. Um, so Ireland have got to be ready for that. So, yeah, if you're picking someone to win it, France being at home, South Africa, what we've seen of them, of course Ireland are in the mix. Um, but, you know, it's been well documented. If Ireland get out of the group, they're playing New Zealand or France, and that's... 
Um, not writing Scotland off because I think they'll have they'll make it really difficult for both South Africa and Ireland, and there there's no guarantees there for either side. Scotland have, can be very dangerous, but if Ireland make it, you know you're you're looking at flick of a coin kind of fifty fifty scenario. Um, France have will gain and get incredible momentum from being at home, but South Africa are in great great shape. I think that's one thing that I would say about them. They look battle hardened and ready, and a little bit different for southern northern hemisphere because it's the start of the season. A lot of the southern hemisphere guys would have played. I'm not saying all of them because you nearly have to go through every player. They have a lot of players in Japan, the South Africans, the New Zealanders. Um, how much NPC did they play? Super Rugby, you know, that's over a while. So it's a different time of the year. So it's just who gets it right and finds finds the spark. I'm confident that that Ireland will will hit the ground running and be in good shape. Um, but you know, if you were to ask me to to kind of grade them, and I would say you're splitting splitting hairs. But South Africa, France, and Ireland and New Zealand probably sit in third place somewhere somewhere like that. If I was you know asking me who's going to win it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Matt, I know you're itching to come in there, and I think you've already spoke this week about the seven forwards and one back incident from the bench. You know, it's a bit in the rows that Razzie and Jack Nainabar are using. Um, I don't want you to kick off fully here, Matt, but you were saying that there needs to be a change there, do you believe? Matt, 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 Matt if I could say kick off fully, it's been a while since you've been trending on, on uh, social media channels, so kick off fully, go for it. Mate, you know me, mate. I only have two speeds, play out and stop, mate. There's no, there's no third gear. There's no third gear. I'm just tearing you up there, mate. You know. Mate, look, just, just so you, everyone knows, the, the bench was put in places. In the old days, you had 15. If you got injured, bad luck. Right? Then they put a bench in. But what teams ended up doing was they might play, say, Allen's on the bench as a back row and a prop got hurt. They were putting back rowers into the front row and guys were getting hurt. So this whole bench issue was a safety issue. It's the same with the back three, same with scrum halves, getting tackled, you know, at the, at the breakdown, getting hurt. This was a safety issue to have a bench. And what South Africa have done is abuse player safety issue and put a whole pack on the bench. And it's against, A, it's against the spirit of the game and it's against those safety rules. Now, World Rugby should have seen this coming because for years, Teams, not just South Africa, France as well, been picking a 6-2 bench, and it should never have been allowed to get to this. All World Rugby had to say was, three of your bench have to be recognised backs. 
That's all they had to do, and this problem would not be there. What South Africa did the other day, I, I think, is totally against the spirit of the game and certainly totally against player safety, right? So I, I am, I, I just am totally against this. And I think, well, I, I would hope, and I don't believe this will happen, but World Rugby should act in the next week and say, during the World Cup, you need three recognised backs on your bench. Problem over. But the fact that they haven't, South Africa are not breaking any rules, but it is, it is a blight on the game that, that needs to be stopped right now. Because what's going to happen is exactly what happened on, on Saturday. Um, you know, the, the, the outside backs, they, could have, they should have bought tickets in the stand because they were, they were just spectators. South Africa played the game between, one, between uh, the, their forwards and their, and their scrum half. There was, you know, and they've got quality backs. This is, this is not a problem. They've got quality players right across their team. But it is, it is not the way the game should be played, nor is it in the spirit of the game. So that's the first part. The second part of that is um, they are opening themselves up to karma. And believe me, there is karma in rugby. Karma means if you only got one back on your bench and you get two, two injuries or a send-in or a send-off, you're in serious trouble. So the Africans are throwing roll on the dice. And, I, and, and we all know when karma comes into play, when you, or Murphy's Law is another way of putting it, what can go wrong will go wrong. Now, it went wrong for, for New Zealand. They got um, sin bins, sin bins to uh, uh, two forwards and then another sin bin to Barrett, which converted into a red card. So for the best part of 50 minutes, uh, the, the New Zealanders only had seven forwards on the field. And for one period, they only had six when the first try was scored by Khaleesi. So we've got to be a little bit careful here, you know, in, in saying the South Africans are that far ahead. I agree with Quinny. They are incredibly powerful, but they do have a weakness. And if you can put them under pressure, those weaknesses will come out. They, they're like Australia, really unusual. They're only going with one recognised out half, which is Liverpool. <laughs> now, he, is, he can be brilliant and he can be also very flaky, especially in defence. So I'm not quite with Alan that, that they are that they played exceptionally well. Don't get me wrong, they played exceptionally well at Twickenham the other night. That's that's not the issue. They didn't pl play well in um, Christchurch against New Zealand, and they were they were scratchy against the Argentinians at Ellis Park. So that there there is still question marks there. There is no you, you can never write South Africa off in any way. Uh, that they are a great nation. They know how to win World Cups, and they're going to be there or thereabouts. The interesting part of this, and, and it's not trying to be controversial, it's just a fact. We're talking about Andy Farrell's selection. When Ireland plays South Africa, they'll know their fate. They'll know if we beat South Africa, we'll face New Zealand or France. If we lose to South Africa, we'll face New Zealand or France. That's a really interesting dilemma to be in. Now, you can never go in as a national coach and say, we're going to lose this game. But it could be more important to beat Scotland than to beat South Africa. So that's that's going to be a real selection dilemma, how they approach that game. And the South Africans could well be in the same boat. So that the selections for both sides for that particular fixture are going to be interesting. Now, you'd have to say um, uh, the pressure will be just to pick your best team. But it may, it may be players who got injuries or carrying a niggle. They might say, well, we won't risk them for this game because Everything will rest on that Scotland game. Now, oh, there's also a 14 or a 13 day break between South Africa and the, uh, the when Ireland play South Africa and when they play Scotland. 
So there's a lot riding on that those two games for, for the, the number of teams. Remembering that South Africa played Scotland in the first round, so we'll know a bit more of that as well, which South Africa we expect to win. But that, that whole, um, how do we put it, conundrum of who's going to end up where out of that pool and the New Zealand-France pool, that is going to be fascinating to watch, especially around that Ireland-South Africa match, how they go. Do I expect South Africa to pick uh, a lot of forwards on their bench? Uh, definitely a 6-2 split, yes. Should a 6-2 split be, be outlawed? Absolutely, it should be outlawed. It should always be forced to have three backs on your bench because the game was not meant to be... We, we want forwards to be fatigued, right? Not to be like linemen in American football where you get three minutes rest and you can be substituted on off. That's not what the game was. It's the ultimate team sport, rugby. And, and the, in my opinion, you should be allowed to make substitutions at half time or at the 60 minute mark. But those substitutions should be limited to an extent. Doing what South Africa are currently doing is wrong for the global game. Imagine we start seeing this at schoolboy or we start seeing it under 20s. What's going to happen to our back lines? Like it's out of proportion the relationship we've got between our forwards and our backs at the moment. That's why hookers are three times more likely to score a try on the back of a mall than an international centre is to score a try. It, it is out of balance and the South Africans are leading that drive that's pushing it in that direction. Well, he's not happy there and you would never know South Africa play eight forwards, seven forwards, six forwards in the bench. Yeah, just well, look, know. and... And it's all within the laws. I know Matt's not correct. happy, but it is yeah. all within the laws. It, it is. And it is I think it's, it's the bigger picture stuff here and, and I agree with Matt on that, that... You know, if we see under 20s or under 18s teams or, or, or even in the club game here in Ireland, teams doing that. I know it's totally different for the All-Ireland League here in the club game. Um, but it is ultimately, you know, player welfare is really important. And it's something that's probably cropped up a number of times over the years when the powers that be get together, the players' unions, um, and which is brilliant. The players have a voice in... in in you know this new global league that we were we 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 think we'll see at international level, um, so they have a voice at that table now, and player welfare is something that that is has to be paramount in the game, and you know it's it's a dilemma because, um, you know South Africa have done nothing wrong here, and you know if I had that many forwards I'd be tempted to do it as well, particularly with the six two stuff. I don't think we'll see seven forwards coming off the bench because it's too risky if you've got a couple of back backline injuries. But the, the thing about the player welfare is, and when it's cropped up it's over the years, is people have spoken a lot about the substitutes coming on on 50 minutes, you know, complete new front row. Sometimes the opposition don't have the same quality or depth and they're trying to stay in the game and they've really, their starting front row is really strong. They don't have the depth in the bench. So they're trying to keep their players on for 70 minutes or whatever. They have 20 minutes then against these fresh, aggressive, angry players who are coming on the field who are probably upset that they never started first time. So, of course, you use it to your advantage when you can. But um, I don't think there'll be any sort of changes or anything around this. But it'll be debated. Um, and South Africa are blessed with so many talented forwards and... And, and power and physicality but you know you you probably wouldn't like to see it happening going forward because it does negate who, who'd want to be back in rugby then you know what i mean so it's something that may be looked at but 
Um, the six twos, I don't know where it'll end up and will it ever become a situation where you have to play three. Um, some people will agree with it. The stronger nations will probably disagree, you know, and say, well, we want to, this is unfair and it's within the laws and you're tinkering with the game. But again, player safety is, and the point probably I didn't emphasize as enough is anybody who's spoken about player welfare in the last number of years, some have even wanted to not go back to the old way where you can only make changes for injuries and that people end up being fatigued, the hits decrease, the power decreases as the yeah. game goes on. And, you know, it has to be looked at. All avenues have to be looked at to make the game safer. 100%, 100%, 100% correct. Yeah, absolutely. As we say, player welfare and safety is the paramount thing. But if we move on and we took at other contenders, Matt, the other side of South Africa on Friday night at Twickenham was New Zealand. They were pretty poor. We noticed there, Scott Bart, he, after his record, here's cleared to play in the World Cup. They can't be as bad. Surely not going into that Friday night game to open the World Cup against France, which, as you say, can determine many factors going on for the next six weeks in the World Cup. Stu, I, I would I'm certainly Alan didn't pick that score line. I didn't pick that score line. Um, and I I didn't think New Zealand would be that bad because New Zealand were quite superb uh, during the, the um, championship. Now it was a truncated championship. And except for the last test against Australia in Dunedin, where they did make a number of changes to their team, they were completely dominant. They, their first 20 minutes against South Africa in Christchurch was scintillating, was, was, you know, equal to Ireland, France, uh, as far as entertainment, pace, precision, execution, uh, relentlessness, they were just brilliant. So, and, and I, I would also say that the, like I said before about warm-up games, these guys had their eyes on France in 14 days time. And I, I wouldn't write a huge amount into it. I, I think I think we could write more into this that South Africa were much better than they'd shown in the championship and New Zealand are much better than they showed against South Africa. I still think um, New Zealand will be there or thereabouts. Now, that they've got a couple of injuries, um, especially in their front row, Lomax, and their front row is, you know, there's, there's a, that's a blow to them for sure. Uh, but I, I think we'll know a lot more after they play the French in the opening game. Again, let's, if we're not putting too much on Bayonne, we're not putting too much on, on how Ireland have played against Italy and, and England, I think we've got to give the same to, to, the, to the Kiwis, who have been excellent up until this point. So let's, let's not write them off or say that they're in, they're in real trouble. And I know we'll come to England. I think England are the exception to what I've just said. I think England are in super, super deep water. They're not waving, they're drowning. But they're the exception to the rule, I think, with, with these, these games. The, the Kiwis just have too much class, too much um, power, too much skill. You know, with any team that's got Richie Moonga on the board and, and um, a boat of Barrett and, you know, the three Barrett brothers, they, they're just, you just can't say that they're no good and Aaron Smith and so on. Now, they, again, let's wait until that French game. The, the one thing, I, get, I think we come back to the South Africans that we noticed from the French game, which is going to be very interesting. 
because teams are learning and exploiting what they're learning from opposition. And a bit, we, we didn't talk about the Irish line-out, which I, I'd like Alan to comment on, because I think that is a point of concern, because the Irish line-out has been the best line-out in, uh, in the world, but they've got they've struggled the last few weeks. And I think teams are figuring them out. So if we say that that's true, the South Africans have been taking a lot of intercepts, and the intercepts are happening because the South African defensive line, if the field is 70 metres wide, they're compressing their defensive line to say 40 metres. But they are really in depth and they're coming up hard. And that's for, they're taking intercepts. But that's leaving space on the far end. So let's see where that pans out in the future. We saw DuPont on the weekend against Australia in his own 22 do a crossfield kick to his winger. So he's, he's 15 metres from his own upright. Instead of kicking the ball in the touch, he does it. What was deliberate crossfield kick to his winger who was unmarked because the Australians had done what the South Africans had done and compressed their defensive line. So again, if it comes back to what we're talking, Stu, let's not read too much into these pool games, but let's see how that's exploited. What other teams have learned is exploited going forward into these early rounds. And again, let's see how the Irish line-out responds because. It has been superb, and Quinny, I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I thought it creaked a little bit the last few weeks, which I was surprised at. Quinny, do you want to, I know we're talking about overall in this preview, <laughs> but Matt makes a good point there about the Irish line-out, you know. James Ryan was speaking about it a couple of weeks ago against England, said they were actually very smart defending it, whether it was legal or not. He wasn't sure, and he was trying to speak to the referee during the game. As a back row in the line-out, what have you made of the struggles, you know, Paul Connell won't be happy the, at the all, but do you reckon it's a bit of Ireland being maybe a wee bit sloppy, but also the defensive more work in the out a wee bit? Yeah, the opposition have defended against him very well. Um, Legally? Yeah, well, there was a few hands in there the other night. Uh, um, to be fair, Samoa put a bit of pressure. I think Wayne Barnes missed some stuff, um, closing the gap, all that kind of stuff. So I think, I, I think back to... Um, Ireland v France a couple of seasons ago over in Paris and the issues about closing the gap and France were very tactically very good at that getting players in the air early and and Ireland lost the game 30 points to 23 was it they, they went that was Joey Carberry went yeah, to the corner yeah. and they had five meter and James Ryan lost the line or sorry yeah, was, Ireland lost the line yeah, it wasn't there was um necessary James Ryan you know and and I remember all these last missed lineouts and these things because I was obsessed with lineouts but look I don't think it's a major concern. I think there's been obviously different personnel, three different hookers for the three games. Um, Rob Herring, Dan Sheehan and Tom Stewart. In all those three games, I wouldn't blame the hookers throwing and say it was poor. I think the timing was off. The lifting was a bit sluggish. Where the ball was called in the line-out wasn't correct. And the opposition pressure was really top-notch. So you've kind of four elements to, to that there. So I think they need to speed all that stuff up a little bit. So in other words, the movement on the ground needs to be quicker. The call needs to be to the right area. And the throw needs to be a little bit more zip in the throw. Because I looked at Tom Stewart the other night in the lineouts they lost. They lost five lineouts in that first half. It wasn't as if his throws were really poor or undercooked or really low. I think they just could have been a little bit quicker. The movement could have been quicker for him. So it's, it's, it's a combination of all the above. They're a bit sloppy. I believe, uh, knowing Paul O'Connell, that they'll probably have some different lineouts here. They probably have a different menu, 
and and a lot of what they used were regular lineups that they've used in the Six Nations and last year the teams have looked at and defended them accordingly. So I think there'll be a little bit of movement, a um, little bit of uh, the strategy will be a little bit different. But it does need to be better because one lineout can lose you a test match. It's very simple, the same way as if you steal one, it can win you a test match. So Ireland, we know, um, launch a lot of attacks and they've been brilliant. Um, so it's a really important fundamental part of the game, vitally important. The, the, the line-out, scrum and breakdown, well, if you don't have, if you've problems in either of those facets, you're struggling to win a game. So Ireland got away with it the other night. They lost five line-outs in that first half. Um, they lost three against England. And even some of the ones they won were a little bit sloppy. So I'd be quite comfortable that Paul can... And of course, the personnel, when O'Connell or when O'Mahony and James Ryan come off the bench. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's not as if the, the players on the field, it was their first test match. I just think they need to be sharper. And I think I would be confident they will be because, you know, you play South Africa, you're, you're not coming up against two jumpers, not three jumpers. You're possibly coming up against four guys who could be launched in the air, given, you know, Mostert can play in the back row. Steph the Toy will be in the back row. You'll be guaranteed their two second rows will be six foot eight, nine, possibly six foot ten if if Snyman starts. How so, many from the bench? Won't go there. Won't go there. Yeah, but you know, it's it's um you're going to get a lot of pressure there. So it is about that speed of movement and how quick. Um, once that line out starts and that hooker is ready, getting it in properly, and uh, you know, hopefully Ireland can get that right um, because it's it's vitally important. But again, I. Going right back to what we said, if you're looking for a synopsis of Samoa, weather horrendous, personnel changes, maybe the players, as Matt said, knowing about being selected, protecting themselves, just that 1% maybe in your brain, not being as pumped as you need to be, um, and tactically making a few mistakes throughout the game. So it's 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 done and dusted the squad name now, and hopefully it's onwards and upwards to France, but... You know some of these things. I hope we're not talking about a last line out against France, South Africa, or or Scotland, or New Zealand, whoever it is when you play them. Hopefully not. As you said, it's been such a good weapon to the Grand Slams. You know, and been so good for so long. Matt, just before we wrap up, two teams I want to quickly mention if we can. England, which I know you've <laughs> haven't been impressed with them to say the obvious for the last twelve months, and then Australia under Eddie Jones. If you can sort of break it down. What they've obviously lost last weekend to Fiji. Steve Borthwick saying, you know, we'll be right for Argentina. What do you make of England rugby at the moment? Well, mate, it, it, you know, each national team is a reflection of the structure below the, the national team. Irish rugby is flourishing because the structures below the national team are flourishing. Leinster and Munster. Look, look, look how Munster played the end of the season. You know, they're fantastic. Look at the under-20s. Won the Grand Slam, made the final. Rugby below the national team is flourishing, so the national team flourishes. Every national coach is a hostage to the system below. The city, you look at England, three clubs have gone bankrupt. They're under 20s, which, which, you know, statistically the number of players in England, they should always dominate Ireland at the age groups, and they're not. Their structures below the national team are in, you know, yeah, the, 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 the competition, the professional men's competition is in crisis. So it is no, and, and that, that they were playing poorly when Eddie was there and, and they blamed Eddie. It's not Eddie. What, what is England's style of play? 
we said if we could we could all tell you what Ireland's style of play is, we could all describe it and say, you know, quick ball, they're playing flat, they got forwards running, they, they're linking forwards and backs. What, what What's England's style of play? Mauling and then kicking from 10 is not a style, well, it is a style of play, but it's not a philosophy. So England are not playing to a philosophy because they don't have one. <laughs> Second part is, and that, and that shows in how their 10s are playing. doesn't matter who they're putting at 10, they're blaming their 10. It's not the 10's fault. There's no structure of attack around the 10. There is no, we, we can see the structures around the Irish team, around the New Zealand team, and around the French team. We could, we could point them out to you if we had a screen here to show uh, uh, everyone that's, that's uh, uh, contributing here to the pot. But with, with, I can't show you that with England. It's, it's, it's non-existent. So that's where they are. It's not Borthwick's fault. He's inherited an absolute um, dog's breakfast of, of an organisation. And they will not get this right during this World Cup. Uh, if the, unless there is some sort of, unless Argentina really stuff up, Michael Checker will beat this team. Michael Checker's uh, Pumas will beat this team. Australia are the same to a lesser degree. Uh, the structures below have are starting to be addressed, but they are, are still eight years, maybe maybe more away from getting it right. Um, and, and they're super rugby teams, with the exception of Brumbies, are not playing great rugby. They selected one out half. He's a good kid and he tried well. But under three coach, coaches now, under Michael Checker, Rennie, and now under Eddie, uh, Australia have been horrific with penalties. They gave away a crazy amount of penalties against France. Their discipline is a bit appalling. They got another yellow, uh, two yellow car, uh, or a yellow card the other day that cost them points. And their defensive system has been very, very questionable when they're put under pressure. And they have done that, not just in the test, last test against France. They did it against Ireland. They did it against France last year. They've done it. They did it against Italy when they lost to Italy. They did it against New Zealand in Dunedin. They've done it for years and years and years. And this is now a culture within this side that I don't know how Eddie Jones is going to break it because it's psychological. It's not, it's not physical. Yet, having said that, their side of the pool, they've got two or three good games in them Australia. They, not, they won't get six in a row, but they've got two or three. They've got a really good path to uh, a semi, as does Argentina. So th they could get there, but th that side of the pool lacks the quality, extremely lacks the quality compared to Ireland's side of the pool. There's, no, there's just no two ways about that. Well, sides of the pool and uh, different draws are another argument altogether, Matt. We'll not, we'll not go into that one. That's a full pod in itself world rankings etc but lads i know it's on the fly here and you know nothing about this but as we always do predictions but this is the only cool. time i'm going to ask you though for the winners because throughout the week i'm going to do it by matches <laughs> i can tell by the reaction but you're going to get one go at this so <laughs> i'll go to you who's going to win this world cup well as i said earlier and what i saw at the weekend i'd say south africa and matt France, if I had to, and look, you know, as I said before, France, New Zealand, South Africa, and Ireland can all win it. So, but if I had to, if I had to pick one now, France at home, I think are going to be hard to beat. And just off piggybacking off that, where will Ireland get to? Again, it's 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 impossible to. Yeah, they're good enough to go on if they stay. If they keep. The concern is if they get any more injuries 
we've 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 a number of world class players in there who are in great form going into this competition. Um, they need a little bit of luck. They need players fit, healthy, and available. Um, so I don't know. We could go out in the quarterfinals. It's it's yeah. it's it's so hard to to pick. Like I say, if you get to a quarterfinal, it's France or New Zealand. Matt has highlighted the fact that France and and New Zealand play in, in pool one, so you you'll nearly know what you what what where you would prefer. Dare I say it? it would it be better to play New Zealand and France? Uh, possibly, people could argue that one out. So you're in a quarterfinal situation here. With it'll be on the day. Um, who gets it right? Who wins those little battles? Who gets their set piece right? Um, gets a bounce of a ball. There's nothing. There's nothing. You, you'd be crazy to say, well, Ireland will beat New Zealand. Ireland will beat France. They, they, not a chance. You could say that, but. Are they capable of it? Yes. If they get past the quarterfinal, I think everyone will start shaking a little bit then and saying the pressure is off. You know, if they get into a semi-final situation, I, they'd get such a lift out of it. But it's it's so difficult. Um, you said we can do a whole pod on the rankings and the way this has been seeded a couple of years ago. It's it's a pity that it's ended up like this, but um, it is what it is. And I think they're pretty comfortable and confident to where they're going. If they if they get their game going, they'll be hard to stop Ireland. Matt, just on that, where do you think Ireland will get to then? Uh, Alan's summation is 100% correct. The, the only thing I'd add to it, this is the best prepared Irish side going to a World Cup in the history of the World Cup. They are in a great place. They have high-quality players. They have beaten New Zealand in New Zealand. They have won a Grand Slam. They are in a great situation. And now I'd put in to add to that. When Australia won the World Cup, the two World Cups, even the final in 2003, which they didn't win, they were not in the two ranked in the top two teams in the world in that going of that tournament. They they built during the tournament and they had class players and a coach they believed in and they got it done in the process. Other teams dropped their bundles, they didn't. I think Ireland are in a really similar place. They're, they're in that top four. We can all argue where they are, where they not are. And, and none of us can say, can prove it with any, there's no real proof of where they are. But they are in a great shape. They're in a great place. And if they can get one crucial win in a quarterfinal, <coughs> I, I just believe, Stu, if you win a quarterfinal, you can win the World Cup. Right? You're in it. Because it's not, and, and why? It's the best games I've ever seen in my life have been the semifinals. And it's when France have beaten teams they shouldn't have, should have beaten England, beating, beating New Zealand, France beating Australia in 87, France beating New Zealand in 99. They're the best, they're the best games I've ever witnessed. I was at two of them. I couldn't believe it. So if you can win a quarter final, that semi final opens up for you. And then you can get to the final and win a World Cup. So that's going to be the day. And I don't need to tell you quarter finals have not been Ireland's friend. But every run has to change. Every bad run has an end. And this could be it. This could be it. But, you know, this is what makes it, this World Cup great. It is so, so hard to give any prediction of, of the final four with any certainty. Can't believe you mentioned the quarterfinal stats, Matt. Let's hope Ireland change that and this is the time. Lads, been a pleasure. Great to get the World Cup fever back. We'll be back next week ahead of the preview, of course. All starts in Virgin Media 1 on the 9th of September as Italy take on Namibia. 
and after that it's Ireland against Romania in the first pool game thanks for listening deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.